Good morning, Midway. I'm Dennis, Dennis the Minister. You've heard that line before, haven't you? I'm glad to be back with you. It's been a couple of years since I've been able to visit with you and to speak for you, but I really appreciate this opportunity today to be with you. And I want you to know I love you and I appreciate you. You see on the screen there my contact information, and especially that email address, because if you need to contact me, if you need to ask me a question or anything like that, if I say something that needs to be clarified, or if you need to, you need, if you just need me to pray for you, if you'll email me and let me know, then I'd be happy to do so. You also see the, the mailing address and the phone number and all that. And I'm going to give you a personal invitation to visit us at Heritage Christian University in Florence, Alabama, on the banks of the beautiful Tennessee River. Well, not right on the banks, but not far from it. Come and see us, and I think you'll be glad that you did. This church has been supporting us for a long time, and for that we're very grateful. And I just came today to, for one thing, to say thank you because of your friendship and your partnership. We've been able to accomplish some amazing things over these years. As you know, we just do one thing. Sometimes a church will send us a check, and they'll say, we want this to go to the Bible department. And we just laugh because we only have one department. That's the Bible department. That's all we do. And that's all we intend to do. And so we're just going to continue to graduate preachers and missionaries and Bible teachers and youth ministers and people who plan to work in full-time ministry in the church. Over the last two years, we've graduated 52 gospel preachers. And if each one of them are allowed to to, to serve for 40 years, that's 2,080 years of gospel preaching and Bible teaching and church work and ministry and mission work and Christian service that you've helped us accomplish. I brought some fact sheets with me today, and I'll have them with me if you'd like to have one, called Heritage Christian University at a glance. Let me just first of all, and I'm going to do this quick and then I'm going to do a sermon, okay? Let me remind you of our mission. This is stated on our website and everywhere else. Heritage Christian University exists for the advancement of churches of Christ by equipping servants through undergraduate and graduate programs and continuing education. HCU produces effective communicators, preachers, Bible teachers, and missionaries for real-world ministry with a focus on evangelism and a commitment to Scripture. Last year, with your help, we were able to, our students were able to conduct 844 personal Bible studies. That's face-to-face in somebody's uh, living room or, or around the, the breakfast table. They made 2,329 visits in the name of the Lord. They preached 2,174 gospel sermons. They were involved in all kinds of Bible classes and benevolent activities and so forth. As a result of this, there were 2,167 prayer requests. 308 restorations and 233 baptisms last year by our students, our enrolled students, those serving on campus. And so you share in every soul that they save or every life that they touch. I'm involved in raising money right now. Of course, I'm always involved in raising money, but especially between now and the end of this month, which is the end of our fiscal year. And one of the things I need is I need some scholarship money because we're, we're, we are determined to keep our students out of debt. We want them to have no educational debt at all. 
And so we have a formula, we've crunched the numbers, and we know what it takes to educate a full-time student for one year. $6,450. will educate a full-time student for one, full-time, for one year, and that student will be able to finish that year with no tuition debt at all. And so I'm looking for people who will help me fund these scholarships, and so um, just keep that in mind in your prayers, especially between now and the end of this month. One other thing, I wrote a book a few years ago called um, How to Make Your Life Count. I give this book away, and I've never sold them. I give it away, and if you'd like to receive this book, just write your name and address on something and give it to me before I get gone this morning after, the, after service, and I'll send you the book. Now, there's a catch to it. Here's the catch. Well, I guess there's no catch if I go ahead and tell you what the catch is. The catch is I'll include an envelope addressed back to the school and so that you can send a gift if you'd like to do so. And I believe this book will bless you, and so uh, let me send you my book. I think it'll do you good. It makes a great gift as well, How to Make Your Life Count. I want to say Happy Father's Day to all the fathers. I've been enjoying um, uh, uh, Father's Day wishes uh, since 6 o'clock this morning. Uh, yesterday, uh, even a, two, a few, two or three days before, I got my gift on, uh, on Friday from my son. We have uh, one son and two daughters. And, um, and, and, and the celebration will continue over the next few days. But I noticed in your bulletin that there's some excellent articles about uh, fatherhood on the back and about uh, Show Yourself a Man by Adam Fawn on the front. And so I commend these articles to you because they, uh, they'll be a blessing to you. And I want you to know how much I appreciate every Christian father who stays on the job. That I mean, by that I mean he stays with his family, he stays with his wife, he stays with his children, he stays with his congregation, he stays with his community, he, he doesn't quit, he doesn't give up, he doesn't walk away, he hangs in there, and as a result of that he's going to always be glad that he did. And so I salute every Christian father in our audience today. I, uh, I wanted to talk to you today about something that I think is very important, and that is how we feel about each other and how we, uh, we have the opportunity and the obligation to take care of one another and bless one another and, and back one another and boost one another and love each other and encourage each other. And so I wanted to call this considering one another. We start in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, with just a simple statement there. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. And then we, uh, we heard from Philippians chapter 2. Let's read this again. This is Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in loneliness of mind let each esteem others better than themselves or himself. Let each of you look out not only for your own interest, but also for the interest of others. And that simply means that we're in the business of taking care of each other and helping one another get through this life. You know, Jesus said there's proof of discipleship. He said that in John chapter 13, 34 and 35. He said, I've got a new commandment for you. And they're all listening, you know, and uh, he says, love one another. And they probably thought at first, well, that's not new because we've always been taught to love each other. But he said, 
as I have loved you. I want you to love each other like I've loved you. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for each other. And so we're considering each other today, and we're thinking about ways in which we can be a blessing to each other. Now, we have a mission as Christians. Every congregation has this mission, and every individual Christian has this mission. And uh, it's best stated like this. Our mission is to carry on the work that Jesus started when he was on earth. Because when Jesus was on earth, he set certain examples, and these examples are to be carried on. That's why we're told to have his mind, Philippians 2.5. We're told to conform to his image, Romans 8.29. And we're told to walk in his footsteps, following his example, 1 Peter 2.21. Now, if you look at all that Jesus did when he was on earth, you can break it down to four basic umbrella statements that cover all that Jesus did. Number one, he said in John 6.38, I am here not to do my own will, but to do my Father's will. And so that's our mission, to do our Father's will. He said that he was here to do good works, Acts 10, 38. Jesus went about doing good work. He also was involved in spreading the good news of the gospel. Luke 19, 10, the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. And our mission, Ephesians 1, verses 10 and 11, is to spread or make known the, the, the manifold or the great wisdom of God. In other words, spread the gospel. By the way, that should be Ephesians 3, I think, 10 and 11. Instead of, that's a typo there. And then we're to show mercy to each other. This is taught in many ways. Uh, James 1.27 talks about how they were to take care of, of uh, widows and orphans and, and, and other unfortunate people. But you see, all of us need some kind of help in some way. Not everyone needs benevolent help. Not everyone is lonely. Not everyone is depressed, but some people are. But everyone needs a friend, and everyone needs somebody who believes in them and cares about them and is willing to, 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 to help them in whatever way that they need help. And so this is our mission. We have a mission, and it's to carry on the work that Jesus started. Now, we have lots of opportunities to be a blessing to other people. And we're told in Galatians 6, verse 10, uh, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And then we're told this in Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, that we're to walk in wisdom toward those on the outside. That's a very, very important principle right there. We are to take care of each other, and we're to behave in a certain way toward each other that those on the outside will look at us and, and think, if they don't even say it, see how they love each each other. Redeeming the time, verse 5 says Colossians 4, that your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. So we have an opportunity and we have an obligation to behave in a certain way because we're the Lord's people so that those on the outside will be influenced by what we, we are, uh, how we're conducting our lives and how we're taking care of each other which means we're to speak truthfully and honestly with each other, with our neighbor. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. And here we're told in verse, uh, verses 25 and following, Therefore, putting away lying, each one speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. 
Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for the necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And so we're told that we're to speak truthfully, and we're to speak honestly with each other, and we're to treat each other with respect, and we're to speak to each other with an attitude of brotherly love. I mean, that is the essence of Christianity, that we treat each other respectfully, and again, with brotherly love. And so we're told to speak truth with our neighbor, and here's a good question, who is my neighbor? And let's go to the most familiar story in the Bible. Let's go to Luke chapter 10 and be reminded, uh, beginning in verse 29, when the, when the scripture says, But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, had compassion on him, and went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend when I come again, I will repay you. So Jesus asked this question, Which of these three do you think was the neighbor to him who fell among thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said, go and do likewise. In other words, I told you this story so that you would know how I want you to treat your neighbor. And again, the answer to the question, who is my neighbor, is anyone we come across at any time, at any place, where we have the opportunity and the resources to help them, to do something to help them in some way, that person is our neighbor. Now, there's not enough money. We'll never have enough money to help everyone in the world who needs help. I mean, there's just not enough money in the world for that. Uh, And so all we can do is all we can do. But the Bible does not tell us that we've got to solve every single individual's problem in the entire world. The Bible tells us to take care of our neighbor. In other words, the person that we come in contact with, and we have the time and we have the resources, we have the ability and we have the opportunity Our job, our mission, is to consider that person's need. And there's going to always be more people than we can possibly attend to as a single individual or even as a congregation. But what we can do is what we can do, and that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to take care of each other that way. Now, when we ask ourselves, who is my neighbor, we also need to ask ourselves, who are we? Um, Are we always the person in the position of being able to help someone else? Not necessarily, because you see, we can see ourselves sometimes in our lifetime, perhaps 
Now, I'm not accusing anyone, but perhaps uh, in the role, in, well, with several roles to play. Sometimes we might be the robber. In other words, we're the person who takes advantage of someone else. Sometimes we might be a passerby who just decides that we don't have time and we just don't have the, we just, just, we just don't, we're just not interested and we'll just pass by and choose not to help someone. Sometimes we can be the victim. In other words, we're the person who has been robbed or we've been mistreated. We've been taken advantage of. We find ourselves in a situation where we need somebody to help us because uh, well, we, we just we can't we can't seem to solve our own problems by ourselves. And then sometimes, and oftentimes, we can be that good Samaritan who sees a need and knows that he has the or she has the opportunity and the resources to help and chooses to help. And so we need to ask ourselves, which of these roles do we play the most? Are we the person who robs? Are we the, or do we play the victim most of the time? Are we the person who just ignores those around us who need our attention and our help? Uh, or are we going to be that good Samaritan? And I think we'll have an opportunity to fulfill all of these roles at some time. I'm not saying that they're all right, but some, sooner or later we'll have an opportunity to fulfill all these roles in a normal lifetime. Because, you see, considering each other's needs um, involves a certain kind of mindset. And that's why the scripture says in Philippians 2, 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so that means that we need to try to look at each other the way Jesus looks at other people. And if we look at other people the way, with the mindset of Jesus, then it makes a difference in the way we treat our fellow man and we treat our neighbor. And so we're looking now at this. What is, what, here's a mindset that uh, some people might mistakenly use. What's yours is mine. Now that was the attitude of the robber who took advantage of the man who was robbed and mugged and left half dead in, in the ditch. He, he, his attitude was, what's yours is mine and I'm going to try to get it from you if I possibly can because you've had it long enough and you don't deserve it in the first place and so I'm going to, whatever I have to do, I'm going to take it away from you. What's yours is mine. Well, I wouldn't recommend that mindset. And then there's the mindset, what's mine is mine, and I'm keeping it. I'm not going to let you have any of it. I worked for it. I got up early, and I worked late, and I went to work when I was sick, and, I, and, I, and I've managed to accumulate all this, and what's mine is mine, and you don't need any help from me because I'm not, gonna, I'm not willing to share it with you. This is Luke chapter 12, verse 15. He said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. So he says uh, that just keeping all you can keep is not the way to live the Christian life. Why? Because one of the reasons is that we are to consider each other's needs. I want us to go to the book of Acts, and we'll go to chapter 4 as we're preparing for this next slide. And that is what's... Uh, What's mine is yours. In other words, I'm willing to share. We're reading about the early church here, and we're reading about it from Acts chapter 4, verse 32 and following. Now the multitude of those... Now let me say this, and preachers always have to say this. These are special circumstances we're reading about in the days of the early church in Jerusalem because there were a lot of people in need because they had 
come to Jerusalem on that religious holiday, the day of Pentecost. They had heard the gospel and they responded to it. And now they want to stay on in order to get grounded and matured in the faith before they go back to their home countries. And so after a while, they run out of money. And that's going to happen to most anybody. If you stay out of town long enough, you're going to run out of money. You're going to max out your credit card, and then you're, going to, you're just going to, you're going to wind up broke. I mean, if you stay in a motel or a hotel, or if you eat out, uh, you know, just day in and day out, you're going to run out of money. And so this is what had happened to a lot of people. Now, the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they all had things in common. And with great power, the, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. Now, they didn't just give everyone the same amount of, uh, of money but they met needs individually, whatever the need was. Verse 36, And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated the son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. And so the attitude or the mindset was, what is mine is yours. In other words, I'm willing to consider you. I'm willing to consider your needs, and I'm willing to share with you because we're not in this thing alone. We've got to get through this world together, especially in these special circumstances in Jerusalem at that time. Folks had to help each other day by day in order to get by. But that's, there's an example there. The example is mindset, if nothing else, of how that we need to consider the needs of others. As we um, prepare to offer an invitation song to you this morning, I just want to remind you that a lesson like this is designed to help us be reminded that we are better together than we are as individuals, just as like, a, like an island of ourselves, keeping to ourselves, just minding our own business and never considering the needs of other people. But instead, we are better together in that we are stronger if we are united and if, we, if, if our hearts are blended, and if we're all focused on the great mission, which is, of course, the evangelism of the world, and carrying on the work that Jesus started, and making sure that none of us get left behind as someone who's been ignored or forgotten or overlooked. Let's bring everybody alone with us as we grow spiritually and in every other way. Then let's do what we can to help and bless each other. You notice on, that, on the screen there, the plan of salvation and the scriptures that support it. And you'll notice in that vertical column, 1 Timothy 4, verse 2. And that scripture, or rather 1 Timothy 2, verse 4, that scripture reminds us that God desires that all men everywhere be saved. And what that means is, is that God doesn't want to see anyone perish. He wants every one of us to live in heaven with him forevermore. And if we're not all saved, it's not God's fault because he's done everything he possibly can. He sent his son into the world uh, to pay the penalty for our sins, to be the sacrifice, to take the, the punishment that we deserve so that we don't have to take the punishment. And as you see the scriptures there, as we hear the gospel and believe it and repent, which means a change of mind and conduct, and as we confess that we believe that Jesus Christ is God's son and our savior, as we receive baptism for forgiveness of sin, 
with an attitude that we're going to be faithful to him until we die. He says, I will give you a crown of life. And so today, if you've not obeyed these basic commands in order to become a Christian, you'll never find a better time than right now to do so. If you have obeyed the gospel, you've received baptism for forgiveness of sin, you've been added to the church, but you feel like maybe you're drifting away, or maybe you're not as strong spiritually as you need to be, or maybe there's some burden in your life that you need the prayers of the church in order to, to, to take care of. Um, it may be that you need to be restored. Here's a good question I always ask. How many times will the Lord take you back? And the answer is, the Lord will take you back as many times as is necessary to save your soul. If you'll simply repent and honestly confess that you need his help and his forgiveness, and if you need the prayers of your church family, you'll never find a better time than right now to do so. So if you need to be restored, or if you need the prayers of your church family for burdens that you bear, or if you need to obey the gospel for forgiveness of sin, receive baptism for forgiveness of sin, you'll never find a better time than right now. So won't you come while together we stand and sing?